Do you own a small firm? Or if you don't own a firm, would you like to start one? Paget gives firm owners all the benefits of owning a small firm, plus the backing, playbook, and confidence that comes with being backed by a large firm. Stay tuned to hear more about Paget later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Welcome, everybody. It's time for another Federal Updates podcast. This is Roger and Annie. And Annie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. We're hitting February where tax season's kicked off and um, we're busy. Yeah. Hey. Yes. We're Mm -hmm. recording this as tax season has started. Most, well, the federal returns are now being filed. There's still some forms and we'll talk about that and states are issues. So if you're, we're going to talk a lot today about kind of things, anticipating that you're listening to this at the beginning of a filing season. If you don't get around to listening to this till May, you probably need to find another podcast because uh, <laughs> yeah. you will have already worked your way through that. But hopefully you'll find some some helpful hints and just some updates as to where we are and what's kind of swirling around. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about you as a practitioner. We'll talk a little bit about you know what the taxpayers need to be doing, update you on some of the things that we always update you on, mm-hmm. ERC. Beneficial odor, and we'll talk a little bit about all that's swirling around in Washington with regard to, we get a lot of questions internally about, you know, the tax bill that has been proposed and where that stands and what it looks like there. What does it mean? (laughs) Yeah, and what, you know, what do you do about it? So, all right, let's get started. What do you, why don't you kick us off with some, just some, again, some pre-filing season or filing season Suggestion. Well, the season the season kicked off on Monday, January 29th, so it's going. Um, you know, of course, same kind of tips that the IRS always provides. You know, the fastest way to get your refund is to e-file, use direct deposit, which at this point, I think most of the taxpayers are doing that anyway, even if yeah, they're filing so. their own returns. It's just so easy to do. Um, and then there's, you know, there's some um, certain types of credits for individuals that the IRS, as similar to prior year, has said that, you know, those refunds will take a little bit longer. Um, generally, a re- refund comes within like 21 days, sometimes faster, sometimes maybe a day or two slower. But, you know, if you're if you're associ- if you're filing and you're getting the earned income credit or the additional child tax credit, none of those refunds for those returns filed with those credits will begin until mid-February. So if you filed your return, you know, mid-January and 20, you know, 21 days has gone by, it may be later in February, early March. Um, right. The IRS just takes a closer look at those because that's those are areas that tend to be abused. Now, there was a delay put in on mm-hmm. purpose to make sure that some of those people claiming those credits uh, – we're legit and gives them a little more time to get some information in their systems to do some matching. Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, it once mid February rolls around, you should, they should be good to go 21 days from there. And you can always go to where's my refund. I mean, that you can Google where's my refund. Um, it's an IRS, like a website where they put in your social, your AGI, the years, you know, a couple of like what kind of tax due or refund are you expected? And it kind of gives you where you are. Um, so you can always, you know, do that, but give it, give it at least two weeks before you start. I think most states have developed the same kind of, where's my refund? I I can't speak for all of them, but I think most of them have. So your clients should be able to track the status of both their federal and state refund without calling you every day and saying, (laughs) why haven't I gotten my check yet? Or when's it coming? And that sort of thing. So. And for states, you know, go check the Department of Revenue website because it either could have one of those where you track your refund. Some states may not open filing as soon as the feds do. Right. Uh, I know this, well, last year and again this year, a lot of states are making revisions to forms. Um, so if that's the case, the forms could be delayed. Um, so, And then I, I feel like it's almost every day I get a notification that there's another extension for this disaster or that disaster um, disaster relief, which then means those states have to incorporate those forms into that 
particular tax year. So that could not only cause a delay in the returns being available for e-file, but also keep that in mind if you have a lot of clients who maybe live in different states or whatnot, um, you know, follow up with that. Yeah. I mean, states can actually be a bigger problem sometimes than the feds because depending mm-hmm. on how often their legislature meets, how closely they follow federal law, what, mm-hmm. you know, what special changes they have. So if it's not just, I mean, you should I assume know the rules or what happens in the primary state you're in. State, but yeah. Some of those other states you may file one or two returns in, they may, you know, be trying to change for some law they passed or they're still trying mm-hmm. to get their forms and their tax law consistent with any changes that may have happened at the federal level. So mm-hmm. yes, yeah, states can sometimes be a bigger hold up than than the uh the federal. That's true. And some states follow the federal deadlines. Some states are different. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a handful of states, the deadline's May 15th instead of April 15th. So just also, you know, double check that. But the, the generally the Department of Revenue um, state sites are pr- pretty good. Um, so at least you can get your basic information there. And if you're really lucky, you live in a state with no state income tax, and you can ignore this whole last five minutes of yeah, uh, yeah, for taxes, and, and, you have, and you have less taxes to pay, so at least yeah, income true. taxes. I don't know. Our property taxes are really high. Yeah. They get it uh, a different way. They get, one way or another, you're paying for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then just a heads up on a couple of the business return forms. There was a delay, um, pretty much related to a lot of those energy credits that were new this year. The delay was just until the end of January. Um, I have seen, I know our software is now allowing for e-file uh, of those forms, but it could be, you know, slightly de- delayed. Um, you know, it's the advanced manufacturing credit and, you know, the qualified commercial clean vehicle credit. We've talked a lot about that. So there's maybe eight of them, I believe, as it deals with some new credit. So your software may give you a diagnostic saying, can't file yet, this, this isn't ready or it's pending or you know, new releases coming later. So as a tax practitioner, you know, whatever software you're using, there's going to be an avenue to see, you know, what's the status of the forms, um, you know, if there's going to be new updates, releases, bulletins, whatnot, that allows you to kind of see where you are. Um, So maybe pin that to your toolbar or something and take a look at it. And softwares are different. So just if you talk to one of your colleagues and they're able to do something that doesn't automatically mean your software mm-hmm. is ready to do it. They're usually fairly close in, in getting things done, but that they, yeah. there could be, I don't know, we've seen some instances a week or two difference for reasons yeah, we'll never some, understand. But for, Yeah. And like, for some reason, I know like Colorado is one of ours that comes late, but there's other people, other states that would have been e-filing that other people aren't. So I don't really know what the politics in in all of that um so to say but it's you know should be close you should yeah. be able to file close together and one other thing when you come into dates to file i mean depending on the returns that we're talking about here i think we're certainly hopefully talking about relatively simple returns that we're filing mm-hmm. now because we all know the issues with broker statements and when they're coming and yep. uh i know i looked the other day at my brokerage website and it said well we'll get you the first one by the 15th but then the real one will show up at the end of february so be careful not to get caught up with what the broker houses are saying is their first attempt at the statement and yeah i've heard a lot uh, at last year specifically a lot of revisions or corrected forms especially if you were dealing with digital assets yeah. So if you have a client that maybe dabbles in that, it might be good to just sit still for a bit. <laughs> see, or see, if your client invests in partnerships or entity, so those returns have to be prepared before mm-hmm. the information can be accurate. I know we've been, I've seen a lot of those where you get one right at the end of filing season because they just got through filing some entity return that impacted. Yeah, you're the, waiting on the K one. Yeah. So, so you know, again, don't be in too big a hurry. It's not really always the software's issue or the IRS or the state or whatever the case may be. It mm-hmm. may just literally be that the information you need isn't really available until a later date. Now you can, you know, if somebody brings you everything but that, you can get everything else entered in and be right. ready for the last piece to not, you don't have to wait to start, but try to, and we'll talk about being organized, but, um, 
We never know. Filing season starting is kind of a moving target. What does that really mean? And it starts for some people, doesn't start for everybody. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of factors that go into that. Well, and we'll talk about this also. I mean, there could be legislation that's retroactive. Yeah, so oh, that's, filing that's your returns early fun. may not even be, be a good that idea. That is always fun. If you've done this as long as I have, you've seen how that works and it's never pretty. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about that as we move forward in this podcast but let's uh let's just hope that doesn't happen but politicians could care less what we think they do what they think is best for them i feel like tax season just gets more and more crunched every every year you know later start later release of forms filing season the busy part of filing season just gets so tight and you know that 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 brings up an interesting thing that's not on our agenda to the extent that we have an agenda. But, you know, a lot of people want an extended deadline. They want to kick April 15th mm-hmm. down the road, some for weeks, some for months. And and I really question, does that change anything or does it just give everybody else that creates these headaches for us more time to create the headaches? That's, you know, if you give a brokerage house till June to do something, they'll probably do it in June. So we'll have the same right. problem. It'll just be later in the year. So, and, and I know a lot of people say, let's just get it over with. You know, just mm-hmm. Don't extend the deadline. First of all, there's no discussion anywhere about doing it. So don't run off and say, I listened to a podcast <laughs> and they said that tax deadlines yeah. being extended. There has not no. been any talk of it. It does take, you know, somebody to do something. This is, it's not as simple as it sounds, but you know, a lot of the problems that we have, maybe some would be solved by a longer deadline, but most of them, I think, would just be delayed till the longer deadline. Yeah. Your, your clients aren't going to bring sure. you the information yeah. any sooner. That's the that's the hard part. Yeah. It just gives people more time to make changes and be lazy, I guess. A couple of tips I have here, Roger. Just um, as we're kicking off tax season, we re- we remind our office owners all the time that go log into your P10 account and to your e-services account. And take a look at the records under your P10 and your EFIN. The scammers are getting smarter. Identity theft is going nowhere. Um, if, if anything, it's going up. But the IRS is recommending that all tax practitioners monitor those accounts to verify the number of returns that are shown underneath. It's not going to be perfect. There is a timing delay. But let's just say you file 250 returns and you go and, and check your P10 or your EFIN and it says that you did 1,000. Well, that's a red flag, right? If it says you did 248, you're probably okay. Um, but it is, I mean, it's just put a little reminder on your calendar every couple of weeks or something to just say, log in, check and make sure, you know, nothing's been compromised. Um, believe me, we have had an office compromised and it's not an easy fix. It is not a quick fix. Um, so you just protect yourself. If, if something happens, know it quickly so you can get, get it resolved. One other thing I will mention as well is if you don't have a written security plan, it is required for all taxpayers. It's required by law. Um, there's templates out there. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google, you know, secure tax prepare written security plan. Um, the AICPA has some templates that you can use. The IRS has templates. Um, there are plenty of companies that can assist, but basically it's, something that should be a a living document, um, something that you want to revisit, update, revise from time to time. Uh, And and you'll see see that when you go to um, renew your P10, there's like, they actually ask you, you know, are you aware you're supposed to have one? You have to check the box to move forward. So like my my tip here is if you don't have one, go grab a simple template, get something so that you have it for this season. And then, you know, in May, really dive into it and make it part of your firm policy. Right. Because it's more than just checking the box. I mean, there's a reason you have to have a security plan. It's Mm -hmm. because it's important because of the kind of data that we have access to and our clients share with us and uh, how valuable we would be to a hacker if they got anything. So a lot of people say, well, I just want something to check the box. Well, no, you really do need a security plan. Yeah. (laughs) You should be checking that box because you have a good security plan and you can check the box with confidence, but you have to have one regardless, but it's not there just to 
make you check a box. Exactly. And and this is not new. This is not even no. last no. year new. It's been, been around for a while. There was um, some leniency as it relates to penalties associated with not having a written security plan, but that was lifted um, last summer, actually. So if you're right. like, oh, yeah, but they, they you know, they kind of let us slide. Well, the sliding's over. Um, That's you right. Do, you do need to have one in writing. And, um, you know, there, like I said, there's some templates out there. Uh, so take a peek at that and see. Right. Right. Andy, talk a little bit about, I mean, this is not new, but every year we're, particularly if we're EA, CPAs, we're guided by Circular 230, though theoretically we all should be, yeah. be guided or follow the rules. and. Yeah. And I think it's good to remind people of what our responsibilities are, what our uh, due diligence requirements are, mm-hmm. what 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 is our responsibility. I mean, we're kind of the protector of the tax code to some extent, in the sense that we make the determination at the front end of what goes on that return, and yet we're not auditors. So, talk a little right. bit about Circular Two Thirty as we remind people of what their obligations are heading into right. and filing so season. It's like you said, it's been around for a while. There's numerous um, sections of it. Um, I'll, I'll mention a few today. I'm not going to go into great detail, but um, one that we all need to realize is we have a due diligence requirements for accuracy and also for signing and advising of the tax return. So accuracy would mean that you, you know, it seems reasonable. And all of these words have definitions that are very, very mm-hmm. gray, but establishing a process, establishing uh, procedures in your office, you know, how are you reviewing the accuracy of the return? Do you have a reviewer, a preparer? Do you have a checklist? Do you have, I don't know, do you tick and tie? Do you, how do you scan and cross-reference and all of those kinds of things? Do you ask questions? Are you using an organizer with maybe yes and no questions? Um, are you looking at, let's say, two-year comparisons? Are there fluctuations or, or large changes? Do you do you ask your clients about these things? Um, the, one of the ones that someone they always ask me is, "Well, I didn't keep all my, you know, non-cash donation receipts. But it's probably like five hundred dollars. That yeah, five hundred dollars. And every year it's the same. It's five hundred dollars. How many miles did you drive? Yeah." You know, or what did I take last year? Well, that's yeah, irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and the one where you know the, the, you're talking to the client and you ask him a question and they go ooh and look up at the ceiling like there's some magical answer up there yeah. that you know is gonna. So you have to follow protocol. You have to follow procedures. Ask the right questions. Know what questions to ask. And that kind kind of leads us into another section of Circular Two Thirty, which is competence. You know, get your your education, study the the changes on the forms, understand what your diagnostics are telling you. Don't take on an engagement that you're not familiar with. If you don't do trusts and estates, don't take one on. If you're not familiar right. with nonprofits, let's not go down that route. So there's, you know, there's some, and it seems so logical, but believe it or not, there are some really incompetent preparers that hold themselves out there um, and the whole point of Circular 230 is to protect our profession and to protect the taxpayers. Right. And, and, and again, clients are coming to you expecting you to have certain levels of competence. And, mm-hmm. and yet it's, you're not expected to know everything. I of mean, course not. There, there's going to be areas of tax law that you're not qualified to handle and you should refer that to someone else and not try to mask the fact that you don't know what you're talking about. Seems so Circular like 230... Yeah, you know, attorney yeah. practice in different areas of law. It's same, same. Yeah, thing, there, so. there's a lot of things here. If you're not familiar with, you know, pay attention to what you sign on each tax return, mm-hmm. which you know is why you're not an auditor. It, it it talks about you know it's true and accurate to the best of your ability based on what you were furnished, as opposed to being an auditor. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be important when we get into uh, talking about beneficial ownership because they're asking whoever fills that form out to sign a different level of certification. And that's one of the challenges we face, but you're not swearing it's accurate, but you're swearing it's accurate to the best of your knowledge with the information you were furnished. And then you get into, well, how much digging do I have to do? And you also get into different levels of assurance based on when do I disclose a questionable issue? There's a lot in circular 230. If you're, if you really haven't paid attention to circular 230 and you're in this business, you really need to, 
to go look at it because and the IRS offers webinars on this and and plenty right. of plenty of organizations cover this um, so you could certainly find one out there because I'm sure everybody listening knows you can be penalized too not just the taxpayer and right. the IRS is at least talking about paying more attention to the role that uh, practitioners pay in we hear it a lot in employee retention credit, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of some things that are being kicked around there. But in all levels of what we do, they, they want us to do our job. They're not after us per se, but they're not going to condone people who don't try to learn, don't care about doing things right. Certainly, if you just make up, as some people do, stupid information. So 230 is important. Yes. Uh, if you haven't paid attention to it or you haven't really understood it, it's a good thing to do. Also, Annie, and you can talk a little bit about this, we're heading into a tax season. Mm -hmm. We're all worried about the hours and the struggles and how we're going to keep from, you know, putting our health at risk. And it, I think a lot of that is is helped by having a good idea on your firm, what your workflow is, what your mm -hmm. rules are. Talk a little bit about, you know, how to use a system, if that's the right term, to yeah. to manage the the work of a tax season. Sure. I'm happy to talk about that. We talk about it all the time at Paget. We, um, yeah. we have developed, we try to develop processes to assist our owners walking through all the steps of a tax return. So everyone has the same, the same goal, right? During tax season right. to move through the tax return workflow tax return process as quickly as possible with the least amount of mistakes and so you could have, you know, you step one and everybody goes through a similar process. But this is just an example. You know, you're onboarding a client and you're asking for information or getting the organizer. You're reviewing what's come in. Are we missing anything? Do I need to ask more questions? You know, what, what, what was different from the year before? Then you're, somebody's preparing the, preparing the return, getting into the software data entry. Someone's probably reviewing the tax return. If you're a one-man shop, that probably could be the same Not person. <laughs> and then here's the, here's the final product. And you've got to get a draft of it to, to the taxpayer who then signs the 8879, basically approving the, the work. And now you got to send a bill and you have to collect your fees and you have to e-file. And then you got to track e-filing because if it gets rejected, you only have a certain amount of time to resubmit or send a correction. And then you also have to determine, you know, who needs to file an extension. And if so, do they have to send a payment? And so it's like this, it's like a snowballing effect of, you know, you're just trying to get to the end of the hill um, as fast as possible without making mistakes. And so what we, we, we encourage our office owners to do is establish a workflow and basically drop the stages of your tax return process into, let's say, a bucket, and then decide what who is responsible for that bucket, who that is, what mm -hmm. technology are you using to accomplish the goal of that bucket? Um, do you have the right technology in the right spot? Do you have the right people in the right spot? You know, where's the bottleneck? Um, where's the highest level of efficiencies? Where's our you know, lowest level of efficiency. How do we resolve it? How do we identify it? And and that goes. I mean, it's it's a it goes through a cycle of is your staff trained? Are you using the right technology? Are you training your clients to get you what you need? Um, are you, as maybe the owner or the last person signing the return, are you the bottleneck? Have you delegated enough duty? So it's it's a very it's a broad conceptual idea of a workflow. But all tax practitioners are having the same process, the same cycle, maybe not in the particular buckets or maybe not the same technology. But I would say tax practitioners have a goal of getting the work out the door accurately and being able to get home and have dinner with your family. Right. You don't nobody wants right. to work 20 hours a day. Um, yeah. And, and every office may not have the same process, but every office should have a process. That is true. And it, and you know, the size of your office, the number of employees, right. the types of returns, you know, is it tax only clients? Is it tax and accounting? You know, it, there are prioritizing right. who, mm -hmm. who gets priority when times yeah. get tight and things like that. So you need and, and And you'll hear this later. We're going to say it now. And the first thing you should do when tax season's over is evaluate the process oh, yeah. you used to see if it's 
the right one and what changes would you make and make sure you get input from the staff that are involved in it to see what, what they would suggest. Because, you know, tax season, you know, is busy. You know, the days are still 24 hours long and there's still seven days a week, but you have all this work to get done and you need a system to, to do with it. As Annie said at Paget, we spend a lot of time trying to help mm-hmm. our offices uh, develop that system. But it also starts with you and saying, you know, you need to take breaks. You need to take time off. You need to make time for family. You need to you need to prioritize yourself and your family and your staff's family as part of this system uh, because that'll help you make the right decisions when it comes to how do you charge for something? What will you yeah. put up with? What you won't? Uh, you know, we need to understand what we, from a health standpoint, health being mental, physical, relationships, you know, what, what is our, are we willing to work seven days a week, 20 hours a day? I don't think so. I hope not. Yeah. Um, Cause if you are, your system is going to be elastic and it's just going to fill your time. So, and it's a process, you know, I, I mm-hmm. think, like you said, you need to evaluate, you need feedback from your staff, you need feedback from your clients, you need to evaluate the software pieces, the choices, you know, the portals, the e-signatures, the organizers, you know, all of these tools that you implement. Um, are you completely paperless? Um, are you running a virtual office? Are you having your staff come in? Um, and so I, I think, and it's hard right now because it's you're like in it, right? You're, you're there right. and you don't have time to take a step back. But I think throughout the pro- throughout the tax season, jotting down a couple of things, thinking about ways that maybe implement changes for more efficiency, at least identify the bottlenecks, maybe identify the clients that are just eating so much time and energy from, from you or your staff. Keep all of that in mind so that when April is over, um, improvements can be made. You can mm-hmm. streamline the process, I think, um, is the main goal. And, and one last thing sure. I'll, I'll say is that clients are more acceptable and willing to accept things than you probably think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always use the clients as the excuse for not making tough choices. Well, my clients won't let me do it or this or that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's as true as you think it is. I, I think they'll do, they, they, they come to you for a reason. Mm-hmm. They, they, they believe you. you are good at what you do and they don't want to, replace you. But if you set rules, I think they'll follow them because they don't want to go find somebody else. So make sure you're willing to set rules and tell them what they have to do and not let them run your practice. You got to decide pretty early on who's going to run your practice. It can be you or it can be your clients. And I can tell you a firm run by your clients is not a lot of fun to work in. Hi, I'm Jeff Phillips, CEO of Paget. We've been helping firm owners grow the right way for over 50 years by providing marketing, technology, and of course, tax support. It's like hiring another 20 people who help you run your firm, but for a tiny fraction of the cost. And if you like this podcast, remember that these are two of the national team leaders at Paget that exist to support Paget firm owners. So to learn more, visit pagetadvisors.com slash podcast or pagetadvisors.com slash podcast now let's get back to my colleagues Roger and Annie for the federal tax updates. Pricing, think about pricing there too. You know, exactly. Don't don't underprice your services. Where we value, you know, your services and your clients value your services. So get paid yeah. for it. Price is a good way to get people to pay attention. Yes, <laughs> yes, and <laughs> yeah. from. From experience, we have learned over the past at least two years, we've had an implementation about, you know, pricing structure and, you know, that kind of thing. And more clients stay than you think when you raise your client, when you raise your prices. We, you know, we had firms that really, you know, maybe went up just a little bit thinking people would balk or get upset or argue over it. And they were like, I wish I'd have done more because nobody left. (laughs) And so it's, you know, consider your pricing. And and if you haven't done a price increase or you haven't examined your pricing structure, you know, are you talking on the phone for free all the time? Are you responding to emails and just sort of part of the day and, you know, consider, consider how you're pricing um, because you might be leaving something on the table. Yeah, and, and it's a good way to 
to kind of test your uh, your limits mm-hmm. with people. If somebody, as I've told a lot of people, if somebody didn't get mad about your price, <laughs> then you're way too cheap for everybody because, it, you know, but that's okay. That's yeah. actually okay. Most of your clients are appreciative of what you do and mm-hmm. probably know you're worth more than you're charging, but they're not going to tell you. Okay. So, all right. It's also a time that we are targets for oh, uh, that's right. the scammers out there, and they're pretty good. So, they are good, and there's a new one coming out all the time. Um, I saw one about a new client scam while they're, you know, they pose as a potential client. They're asking you to help them, you know, generally through email, but basically they're trying to gather sensitive information from tax professionals because we have a ton of client data and we have a ton of access to, to bank accounts and social security numbers and all kinds of stuff. Um, I will tell you that the IRS is really good. I think really good. Um, at updating their announcements regarding new scams. So if they see something come in or something um, is being reported, they'll drop it on on the website. They'll send out a news alert. Um, So keep an eye on that. I mean, if you see it's coming through the IRS, maybe maybe just stop and pause, take a minute and look at it. Uh, There's also, we fall for it, but you get these emails and you click on something and the scammers are really good. They, They make... You know, the the it logos look perfect. <laughs> Everything, I mean, it looks like I've seen ones that look just like an IRS notice. I mean, perfectly done. And it's a scam. So just don't be, be thoughtful when you get an email from someone maybe you don't know or something that looks a little odd. Maybe don't click on it. Um, and then there are very specific steps on the IRS website for reporting identity theft or, or phishing scams. So if you do come across one or identify one, go ahead and report it because you're, you're helping out your fellow practitioners by helping them yeah. out. Maybe they'll get the, get the scammers. Terrible to say, but I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. Hey, but they are good. I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot of money in some of the stuff that they do. If you're not, you know, now what we try to do at Paget is we try to monitor this. Annie talked about, which I agree with, the IRS is getting much better at alerting us to the mm-hmm. kind of scams that people are seeing. So one of the things that we do, of course, as soon as we get the alert, we pass it on to everybody else right. in our network. So if you don't have a network or someone that's doing that for you, you need to to make sure you go and get set up of getting those kind of communication directly from the IRS because, you know, one mistake can destroy your whole tax practice. Uh, and it may be something the IRS has already, because I mean, again, it's, it's, it's amazing how good some of this stuff is. I like, know. hey, I'm looking for an EA. I need a tax return. Are you interested? And you just check yes, and it's over. You know? <laughs> but the IRS is pretty good about saying, watch for this one. So um, mm-hmm. if you're not in a position today to gather that information, you really need to to, to figure out how to, to get in the loop with that because it can, it's like I said, it can, if you talk to anybody that's been hacked or whatever you want to call it, you know, ransomware or any whatever yeah. it is you don't want to deal with it and you it's ever but particularly during tax season yeah and some of the scams i mean the, yes they're after tax practitioners because we we have access to this but they'll go after the taxpayers too so we'll talk oh, yeah. a little bit later about you know tips for taxpayers i mean the irs does not send you an email the irs does not call your phone i mean there are simple things that you can communicate to your clients that will protect them you know if they get a phone call this is you know so-and-so at the IRS, um, you know, just hang up, <laughs> yep. but, but we'll, we'll go over some of that too. Um, yeah. All right. So, let's move into the topic. We can't ever avoid talk a little bit because it's going to impact us and there's it been is. some changes, uh, employee retention credit. Even if you never did the first ERC, uh, you may have somebody come to you wanting to do one of the few things that are available to us right now. So any talk about what's going on here while we're in tax season as it relates to the employee retention credit. Right. Um, Okay. So the employee retention credit, I'll do a brief history real quick. Um, This has been around for several years. It is um, a program that came out during the pandemic. The goal of it was for employers to, keep their employees working. And as a result, the IRS was quickly putting into place 
um, procedures to allow employers to get credit for basically paying their employees. And, and so uh, and, and you got the credit by filing the uh, 941s. So it was something that was done through the payroll returns. Um, it does affect and, and still affects um, ta- the income tax returns. But there was so much fraud, and you probably heard the term ERC mills. There was so much fraud associated. Um, companies were coming in and telling everybody that they qualified and filing the forms. And there are very specific, detailed quali- qualifiers um, in order to get the credit. What ended up happening is the IRS sort of like took a break and said, hey, put, put the brakes on here. There's We, we have to get a handle on this. Um, the fraudsters are getting better. The, the employers are getting duped. Um, the tax practitioners are put in a really hard place of not perpetuating the fraud, but also you don't want to lose your client. Um, and so they put placed a moratorium, which is still in a currently we are still in a moratorium right. where they basically stopped processing um, ERC claims. So if you know, I forget the exact date, but uh, as of that date, um, if if the claim was already sitting there, it's basically in a warehouse. It's not getting processed. They allowed additional returns, additional um, claims to be filed. So you you could, up to a certain point, continue if you felt like you qualified. Then they started offering some withdrawal options, basically saying, hey, um, you haven't processed mine. Can I just withdraw it? Or I, I got my refund, but I still have my check. Can I just like not cash it? And we'll just pretend yeah, like nothing kind happened. Kind of thought about it and probably realized <laughs> I wasn't supposed to get this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and they actually promoted the withdrawal program. The IRS did. They had some webinars. There was a lot of articles about it. Um, there was a lot of chatter um, about sort of the withdrawal program and what do you do and how do you tell your client and what if you what if you did not prepare the ERC claim but now your client wants you to withdraw and can you do it and how do you do it and what do you need to attach and da 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 um, and I, I do think there was probably a fairly good response to the withdrawal program. But then came another program, <laughs> and yep. that program was the voluntary – it's called a voluntary program, um, where you can sort of raise your hand and say, okay, I probably – I didn't deserve this. How do I pay it back? How do I give it back? And so, you know, it was – it's also another program that I – this part of it I didn't think got as much um, – advertising because I so so it came out right before Christmas it came out at a bad time it was December 21st so that's when the voluntary ERC voluntary program begins and the program allows you to only have to pay back 80 percent and there are installment options available and they're very easy to fill out a form so if you're like I'm sorry I got the money I I shouldn't have sort of get there's no penalties um, right. The 20% that you don't have to pay back is not considered taxable income. You don't, there's no, in, like I said, no interest or penalties. You don't have to go back and reamend returns. Um, and, the, and the form is fairly simple. There's a, an e-file form. It's form 15434, I believe. And right. it's, it's broken into quarters and you send it to a certain fax number. They collect some information of who helped you prepare it. And I guess they're trying to go after some of the mills. Trying to find who the crooks were. So they yeah. made the program fairly easy. And and actually 80% is not, not cool. bad. It's 80%, no penalties, no interest, no need to amend returns, no yeah. need to pick up the 20% in income. I mean, I, it, it, I think given what we had, it was as fair as you could have asked yeah. them to do. It's just unfortunate if, you know, you were an employer and you got the money and you spent the money thinking that you were, you know, deserving of it. And so now you're kind of stuck paying back money that you don't have anymore. But that's the way it goes. And the bad thing about it from a from a tax practitioner standpoint is you have till March 22nd yes, to take advantage timing. of that. And after March 22nd, there's no 80%. It's 100%. There mm-hmm. are penalties. There is interest. There is everything you could imagine. So that's a firm, hard date that falls right in the middle of a filing season. So And just, uh, we've asked. I haven't had any inclination that they're considering moving that. No. No, I don't. Yeah. I think they believe, and I, and I tend to agree with them, if, if you're questioning the validity of the money you got, mm-hmm. go find somebody to help you 
take care of it and do it now. We're not going to see if you don't put a deadline, then people just wait. And then when they catch up, oh, I want to give it back, you know? Right. <laughs> so, right. No, so I had understand. To be a deadline. I just, I mean, I wish it had me. been after I know. March 27th. Well, it, it was it December is. 21st and then they basically gave three months and that's how you got March right. 22nd, which theoretically right. so seems that's like enough time. what you got to do. So if somebody comes to you and got the ERC, you've got to consider the voluntary program. Mm -hmm. If it's legitimate, there's still amended returns that have to be done. That, yep. Nothing's changed on legitimate claims. And we'll talk about this. But if they came to you as a small business owner, haven't gotten the ERC, but were eligible, as of the recording of this podcast, they're still eligible and you can still make an application. And now, Yeah, right. We'll, t you know, we'll mention briefly what could happen to that. But if they come to you today and they say, I heard about this ERC thing, uh, <laughs> And you do the research and they're eligible. So there's, you could be impacted about by the ERC during your, your, this filing season. And clearly you need to be aware of that March 22nd date because you don't want to forget to mention that to somebody who will immediately tell you on March the 23rd that they would have <laughs> done it had you told them. And then, right. And I'm still getting, I'm still getting calls from the mills. I get texts and emails. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are still promoters out there really pushing this. So it wouldn't be, you know, unheard of for a client of yours to, to hear about it or, you know, fall for one of them. Yeah. And and I'm going to go ahead and take just a second, and then we'll get to beneficial ownership. Yeah, because sure. Because ERC is referenced. A lot of us have heard about a tax bill that's out there. Yes. Uh, it has passed the House. That's all it has done. It is not law. It has passed the House. It has been sent to the Senate. The Senate's about to go on recess for two weeks. And the, the three key elements that you need to be aware of, one impacts ERC. It would retroactively end the ERC program as of January 21st, 31st, 31st of this year. So now we're already past that date. So does that mean that date will hold if it takes till May to get this bill passed or if they do it? In fact, we don't know, but, but as the bill is written, the ERC program would end. So really, I went back and told you earlier, they're still eligible. They should file for it. Well, as we sit here today, we're in February. If they stick to the January 31st date, that won't work. because But been it has repealed. to pass the Senate first. But it has to pass the Senate, and they have to leave that date in there. It was in the House, but the Senate's got some. The other things that are in that bill, and again, it's a bill. It has only passed the House. It is not law. It is some R&D credit going back to the old way of expensing from amortizing. And the one that could create us a nightmare is they're changing the child tax credit. So you're sitting there thinking, well, should I file returns? What if they change it? The IRS has indicated that the changes contemplated in the law, if the law happens to the child tax credit, they will be able to recalculate those credits. So do not hold up filing returns. Uh, if the only reason you're not filing it is because you're concerned that the child tax credit that your software is calculating would turn out to be wrong. <laughs> the IRS has said their systems can re and we've seen this happen before. I can't remember on what the it back was. end. Yeah. Yeah. Where the they'll rebates. just fix it. Yeah. So, so you know what, but again, it's not law, so there's no reason to hold up, but even if it passes, uh, they have indicated they could, uh, fix the child and there's some other stuff in there, but those are the big there's ones. Some uh, but again, it's not a law. And as we see every day, if you watch the news of what goes on in Washington, ain't nothing guaranteed. So, <laughs> you know, don't ask me what chances I think the law has, because I would answer everything now in Washington at best is 50-50. Good to know. We'll keep following it and we'll certainly do yeah. another podcast should should it get if passed, it passes if it and has changes. Yeah, but that's it. Let's touch briefly on something else that we've got to deal with during this filing season. We've talked about it before, but Annie, a brief rundown of where yeah. we are with beneficial ownership and and talk about what we're telling our offices right now, their role is as right. it relates to this beneficial Again, ownership. Again, we've mentioned this on quite a few of our previous podcasts. We've gone into quite a bit of detail about what beneficial odor information reporting is. Again, this is something that is through FinCEN. It is not an IRS um, requirement. However, it is landing on the plates of a lot of tax practitioners. And basically what it is, it's a form that needs to be filled out um, that 
provides information on beneficial owners, so um, kind of decision makers, let's say, of a company. Um, it is focused mainly on smaller businesses, um, so there's not really a Generally, we seek these kinds of things on large businesses, but this focuses on small business owners, and it's something that needs to be reported. It has to be done timely, and because it's FinCEN, there are some very high penalties associated, <clears throat> including jail time. I mean, it's like kind of... Yeah, I mean, they're serious about it. <laughs> they're serious about it. Um, the problem is that the, the community, it's new. There's been very little communication there's a huge knowledge gap about what even needs to be filed, how to file it, when to file it. Um, and it's sort of, but it's here, like it, it became law in January 1. Basically what it says is that this form, um, which includes the beneficial owner information, needs to be filed within 90 days of, I'm sorry, within 30 days. Did I get no, that right? 90 if it's a new company. 90 if it's a new 30. company, a change is... 30 30. days. But if you're in existence before the beginning of January, so if you are in existence prior to January 1, you have until the end of the year of 2024. So if you have clients that are, you know, need to file this form and you had them and they were in existence prior to January 1, we are telling our office owners just to sit tight. You have until the end of the year to, to file the form. The issue is if you file it now, if something changes, and I'm going to use an example, if the address of one of the shareholders changes, they're only allowing you 30 days to make that adjustment. And so you would have to be very much involved in each of your clients' businesses to know if something changed. Did you know someone else now has authority to sign at the bank? Well, now they have to be on it. That's a change. You only have 30 days. So the the timing is not great. And with such an information gap, the public is not even aware of this filing requirement. And it's not something done with the tax return. It's something through FinCEN. So it's not even, you know, an annual, let's say, form. I don't know, Roger, that was pretty quick for yeah, uh, and for the, the intensity the concern, of this. <laughs> yeah, the concerns that the industry has is the certification. We talked about what you sign mm-hmm. when you sign a tax return. The certification on these is much higher there, there's some concerns about some of the decisions you would have to make or the advice you would have to give could could put you in the practice of law, mm-hmm. which the states regulate, which would be serious. Then there's some concerns about the liability that we have if we don't identify a beneficial owner properly because it's not strictly how much it's 25 percent and above. That's a given. But as Annie mentioned, certain controls or authorities control. you know, could, could give you. So, so there's... Uh, this is, and it. she mentioned small business, it's 20 or fewer employees. It's less than 5 million. Mm-hmm. So it's the smallest end of the small business spectrum. Yeah. And it's new. It's not publicized well. That We don't know anything about our due diligence requirements. We don't know if we're practicing law. We don't know what we should charge. The penalties are $500 a day, up to 10000 You can go to jail. So we're trying to find ways because our clients are going to expect us to help them with this they're going to look at it's just a form fill the damn form out and let's move on yeah i wish it was that simple and so we're telling our offices have patience let us try to work with fincen to make it work no one disputes the law was a well-intended law we need to catch money laundering oh yeah absolutely it's how it's being implemented and, and it's going to either make it terribly expensive for small businesses to turn to third parties because of the liability they have to assume, or they're just not going to do it because they don't and know I about think, it. So. I think that's the the bad part. I think there's going to be a lot of just pure, I'm just ignoring it. That doesn't apply to me. I've never heard of it. I don't know how to do it. Yeah. I, so. Yeah. so my advice to people listening to this podcast, if you have clients that are small businesses with 20 or free employees, if you don't know about it, first of all, figure out what's going on. Learn about it. Yes. I wouldn't advise you at this point to jump into doing it but until you fully understand and we as an industry fully understand and hopefully get a little time with FinCEN to get some concessions or some changes that make it workable. If your business didn't start until or started before January, you got all year. So yeah, there's no rush. Sit tight. Take, take advantage of tax season, inform people, tell them about it, tell them you got handle on it even if you don't tell them you will or whatever right, right, right. but 
but don't rush to file the forms yet until we can see if we're going to get any kind of changes or things that make it workable for us. If you have somebody that wants to form a new company, an LLC, because this applies to LLCs, anything registered with the state, send them to attorney and let yeah. them deal with it. Because they actually, whoever forms the entity is has to be disclosed on this form. Yeah, you so, don't want to be on this form. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to be on the form. So, just if you if this is the first you've heard about it, you need to go read about it. If you have any small business customers, uh, but our we're in a holding pattern right now. We're learning every day. We hear a little bit something new. We heard something new today because insurance companies, E and O carriers, are a little concerned about what will they cover, what won't they cover. You know, what do you what's your due diligence to, mm -hmm. to have coverage? So we're hearing something every day. I think time is our ally. The longer we wait, the more we'll know and the better we'll be suited to help our clients. Mm -hmm. But make sure they know about it. And because uh, there's also scammers come in all different shapes and sizes and they'll be showing up soon if they haven't already with this. Uh, mm -hmm. There's already, and I'm not saying everybody that's come up with it. Now, there's already companies offering, well, I'll do your initial report and I'll monitor your activity and all this sort of stuff. Uh, some are more likely to do it. Others, some put more burden on the taxpayer than others. So time is our friend. Let's mm -hmm. take it. Let's get through tax season. Let's understand more about what the lawyers are going to say, the insurance companies are going to say, FinCEN is going to say, and then we'll, we'll find a solution. But it's not there yet. Right. A lot of good information, Roger. Yep, we're done, right? <laughs> For this one. <laughs> For this one, we'll be we'll be jumping on and um, another one later this month. Uh, we'll bring you some updates on different topics, and of course, if anything changes with that bill and the Senate, we will be sure to let you we'll, know. We'll be back to know. So again, good luck during tax season. You probably this probably isn't your first. You've made it through them before. Let's just work to make this one better than the ones before. Mm -hmm. And better means better for you, better for your employees, better for your clients, and better for your family. And exactly. that starts with, with us. So any final parting words for today, Amy? No, I think I think we covered a lot today. Hopefully you enjoyed listening. Tell your friends, like us, share us, um, and listen to us again. Thank you yep. so much. Thank you, Annie. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again with another Federal Tax Update podcast. See ya. All content from this podcast by Small Biz Pros Incorporated, DBA Paget Business Services, is intended for informational purposes only.